0: Thank you and good morning. But it's, it's very special to be here. And we've, um, this Sunday is uh, Pentecost, which we heard about. And uh, that was amazing how Richard led us earlier. I, after that, I almost don't need to say anything because it was epic and of, of an object lesson. It was just brilliant. So I loved that. And we've got to this Sunday after a very kind of busy uh, weekend and a busy last of 10 days. uh, Just at the end of thy kingdom come. Thank you to those who've done the video log uh, prayers that have been sent out uh, to us. And isn't it been an incredible time uh, thinking and praying uh, for those we know and love that they might discover Jesus, and that they might discover his love for them. So that's been, uh, that's been great. And the third person uh, conference, um, which a number of you were here at, um, was also absolutely brilliant. Uh, so powerful to hear from Paul and Becky Harcourt, um, and uh, painful stories, powerful stories, stories of uh, redemption and transformation uh, and... This is really, really exciting. So uh, Sunday morning, since the beginning of May, we've been uh, in a series um, called Encounters with Jesus. Um, They've been looking at key encounters that we find in the Gospels uh, where people have met with Jesus. uh, And there's been discovery or transformation on every one of those uh, encounters. We started at the beginning of May with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, then we looked at Nicodemus, and then the woman at the well, and after that, the man with leprosy. Last week, we sort of had a double. We had Jairus' daughter uh, and the woman who reached out and grabbed uh, Jesus' cloak. It was like a story within a a story, and Hills took us through that uh, last Sunday morning. And today, we're going to look at another of these Jesus' encounters, uh, and I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm excited what we're going to discover in it. But before we get into it, I'd love us just to uh, spend a few moments looking at some of the Pentecost verses, because they're so powerful, and today is Pentecost, and they link with the, the story, the account in Luke that we're going to see uh, later on. Pentecost was the birthday of the church. We've heard a little bit about it already this morning. It was the day when God poured out his spirit. Until the day of Pentecost. It, It seems like, as you travel through scripture, it seems like the activity of the spirit was at particular times on particular people for particular purposes. And at the day of Pentecost, it all changed. Sometimes people say we now live in the age of the spirit because the spirit was poured out. It was the answer to the prophetic longing. The, pro- the promise that was all the way through the scriptures. And uh, so now we live in the age of the Spirit. And I know that loads of people uh, in this room will have said, uh, will have known those times where they've been filled by the Spirit. They've had your very own encounter with Jesus through the filling of the Spirit. In fact, the Bible tells us this is not a one-off event. It's not even uh, an annual event. Like you go to New Wine and you get a top-up. The Bible tells us the filling of the Spirit is to be an on ongoing event, an ongoing approach to God. Paul writes, be filled with the Spirit. He's using the present continuous verse, uh, and it basically means go on being filled. It's almost like an attitude of our hearts that we step before God and we just say, fill me, fill me, because I absolutely need it. Go on being filled. And first And foremost, these encounters with Jesus, this filling with the Spirit, is about knowing that God loves you. Romans 5, verse 5, it's a famous verse. It's one of my favorite verses. And Paul's right into the Romans and he says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God's love poured out into our hearts. By the Holy Spirit. I wonder if even this morning you know that in here, in your heart. I wonder if you're like, yeah, I know that truth, not just in my head, but actually in my heart. But sometimes we need a, a fresh realization of that, don't we? We just we need to almost experience it again. We need sometimes it's almost like the gravity rever- works in reverse, and, and that knowledge here sometimes just goes back to my head. I know it, but we need to let it drop down again. And if that's you, um, at the end of our our time together, we're going to have our, our kind of end of service kind of mess, which is where every time we have what we call ministry time, we have prayer. And if that's you, where you're like, I know, I just need that fresh realization. Why don't you be among the first to come up and just put yourself here and put yourself before Jesus and say, please meet me again. Fill me with your spirit. I had a, a, a great friend. Um, I still have a great friend. Uh, his name is Cookie. He and I were uh, flatmates um, uh, together some, some years ago. Uh, we went to church together. Um, and he would go up almost every single time we went to church. Uh, and, and in other kind of gatherings and celebrations, he would just be going up all the time. Even if uh, the, the kind of the specific focus of the prayer time was, was about something different. And I asked him about it. And, and he was like, yup. I will go up. I think he stole a phrase from John Peters because he used this phrase. I've never forgotten it. He said, I don't care what the call to prayer is about. Even if they're asking for one-legged lesbians from Leeds, I'm going up to the front. And I was like, well, so I never forgot it. And maybe you won't either. But I think he stole that or adapted that from John Peters. But in there, there was just hunger. There was just thirst. It's just a a realization we can't do it without him. Fill me. Fill me, Lord. So God fills us with his Holy Spirit. And primarily that's about us knowing his love, that transforming love, that healing love, that powerful love. But there's another reason. He fills us with his Spirit too. Do you remember when the risen Jesus appeared before disciples. They were scared, locked room. He peers before them and says, peace be with you. And he shows them his, his hands and, and his, his wounds. And he's like, yeah, it's me. He says, peace be with you. And then this is really important. It's in John chapter 20. So important. He then says this. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is like the precursor to the day of Pentecost. The Father has sent me, so I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them Said, receive the Holy Spirit. He's making the point there's an absolute connection here between receiving the Spirit and us being sent out into a lost and hurting world. If you were to turn on a few pages, you get to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Verse 8, just before Jesus is ascended, just before he goes back to the Father, he says this to the disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. The connection, receiving and going. The following chapter, we've heard it read a couple of times already, Acts chapter 2, they were all together in one place and suddenly the sound like that of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the house. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so often, we don't read on from there. But if you do read on from there, you get to verse 5. And verse 5 says this. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. And then it goes to say that they heard the message of Jesus in their own tongues, in their own languages. In this instance, the giving of the Spirit, the, the, the gift of tongues in this instance was so that people may get to know Jesus and hear his message. Two chapters later, we get it again. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The believers are praying. The place where they were meeting was shaken. Isn't so that exciting? It's like God is there. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now just remember, these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit two chapters ago. It's the same guys. Fill me again. Fill me again, Lord. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Guys, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to talk about that on Pentecost, don't we? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. You could say having an encounter with Jesus. is first about discovering his love. And then it's about sharing that love. And it was amazing, uh, Paul Harcourt just nailed this point uh, over the several sessions where he was talking over the conference. And he was saying, yeah, first it's intimacy, Father. And then it's authority. I'm his son, you're his daughter. And then we go. It's not one or the other, it's absolutely both. Both and, okay. So now we want to. I want to move us uh, into our kind of story of the Gospels, where there's a Jesus encounter. I've asked Vix, my wife, uh, to come and read, because uh, she sounds nicer than me and looks nicer. Um, and You're me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you a microphone, um, and you might want to turn up Luke chapter eight. This is where we're going to be. Yeah. Luke chapter eight, starting at verse 26. 26.
1: Okay, so that's Luke 8:26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell on his feet, (coughs) shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many of the demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man who the demons had gone out, from, from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear. So he got into a boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him.
0: Thank you. What a story. Uh, it's one of the famous ones, isn't it? The story of the Gerasene demoniac, sometimes it's been called. And maybe uh, if you've been in church all your life, maybe you even heard about this story when you were uh, at Sunday school or, or whatever equivalent of that. It's not really a bedtime story for really little kids, so I'd caution against that one. Um, it's such an important story. It, we, we find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four gospel writers. They all record it. Uh, It's a powerful story. So much for us to learn and take from it. And of course, the significant characters in here, one of the the cast of the story, are the demons. Are the demons. Now I wonder, if we were to take a poll across our town, people outside of this building, uh, and just ask them a simple question, are demons real? I wonder what... Answer they would give. Maybe we could ask across the nation, across the town, maybe in your workplace. Are demons real? And they've got a chance of saying yes or no. Defining demons like an evil spirit, not just oh everyone's fighting the demons, kind of uh, colloquial chat. But are demons real? What would they answer? I wonder. Uh, I I expect most would say no, no, no. It's all typical religious uh, nonsense. I wonder if we were to take that poll, that survey across the church in the West, across all the churches of the UK and America and uh, and Europe, I wonder if we would ask them that question, yes or no, are demons real? And, And my suspicion, my guess is that there would be a huge amount of uncertainty. Ask that same question in churches across the Far East or in South America. Or across Africa, you will get a completely different answer. You will get a resounding, confident yes. Now, now why, why the difference? Why the difference? I mean, is it because the less educated, slightly primitive people? That is often how people would resolve the difference, but that is as wrong as it is patronizing. It's not about education and being primitive or anything like that. Two years ago, Vix and I were living in Zimbabwe. We had a sort of a three-year stint in Zimbabwe, that's Southern Africa. Um, and in our last year, Vix particularly got involved in our local orphanage, just about a ten-minute drive uh, from our house in our lo- local town. Uh, and it began as a, a journey of, of just wanting to love them and serving and providing and, and just trying to make things a little bit better, but. Within a very short space of time, she started discovering there were things that were just not quite right. There was some pretty dark stuff. First, there were anomalies in the accounts and the records and just just some of the admin. And uh, that was like, oh, that's annoying. But then it became evident that there was genuine neglect of these orphan children in a number of ways. uh, That they were just not being cared for as they should have been. Eventually, child sexual abuse was uncovered in this orphanage. And even the, uh, the suggestion that over the years, children had actually been sold. There was some evidence, and there was absolutely clear evidence for the child sexual abuse, and Vicks took that to the local police. They couldn't have cared less. They just, absolutely rejected her interests. They couldn't have cared less. Now, at the center of the problem of this orphanage uh, was the manageress. She had been there for about 16 years. Uh, On the outside, or or initially, when you met her, she was just charming. She was lovely. She was very chatty. Uh, But actually, it turned out that she was actually a witch doctor. Uh, This is a Christian orphanage. And she was a witch doctor. And, and it emerged that she was absolutely central to everything that had been going wrong in, in all of it. There were investigations that, that began. Vicks drove those. This lady got suspended. And during this time of suspension, she started threatening anyone who would speak against her or who would challenge or he would e- who would even probe into what had happened. She started threatening them with uh, some juju, some witchcraft. That's often how the Africans talk about it in that area. One night, uh, a little bit later, um, there was one of the lady staff. Uh, she, is, she had gone to bed. She and her husband lived in a house on one of the properties of, of this orphanage. And she woke in the night screaming in the night. She'd had this dark, dark dream, clearly a demonic dream. There was, there was a very strong presence and, and there was this black kind of crow that came in and was attacking her and, and she woke up screaming to th- think it could have just been a bad dream until she realized there was no crow or anything in the room but until she realized she had scratch marks on the back of her shoulder that were not there when she went to bed you try telling her and her husband that demons aren't real and there are countless similar stories uh, and, and it's across Africa, it's across lots of places of the world, and, and many of you guys may, may have known st- stories along, this, uh, along these, these kinds. But the fact remains, in the West, we don't see that much overt demonic activity like this. And that's probably why we underestimate its presence. Maybe in a culture that denies his existence, Satan doesn't really feel the need to openly manifest himself. Because after all, we never fight against something that we don't believe is there. There is around us a constant presence and threat of, and demonic influence, of demonic influence uh, all over our world. We can see its symptoms, sin and evil. And even, even when conditions are clearly medical or clearly psychological or chemical and. Yes, in the dark ages, pretty much anything they didn't understand, they did say was something to do with witchcraft or a demon or something like that. Yeah, that was part of history. But even those conditions are still products of a fallen world where Satan has been rampant and on the loose. Now, we don't need to be paranoid when we're thinking about doing this. We don't need to be paranoid that there's a demon in every cupboard. That's that's not how it should be. But nor should we let the pendulum swing to the other side and, and write them off as childish fantasy. We do need to hear the words of Paul when he writes to the Ephesians, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a battle. And we're in this battle. The battle we're in today is just as real as the battle on the eastern shore of Galilee 2,000 years ago. Let's think about that story we heard read. I think we can be confident to say this was not a mental health issue. This was not just uh, some kind of unknown disease or or a form of epilepsy that they did not understand. We're told that this man was, was chained, hand and foot, and under guard, and frequently he'd break the chains and overpower the guard and run off into isolated places. And, and try and explain the bit about the pigs just by going, oh, they didn't really understand and the pigs just had a bad day. <laughs> you can't explain it away. I want to finish with five observations that all come from the text and the, kind of the context And I believe that God really wants to meet us today in some of these ways. It might be one or or more. The first one is the storm didn't stop him. So did you notice what comes immediately before this uh, this story? If you were able to look at it on your phone or, or in the Bible, you would have noticed. It's the same in all three Gospels. Immediately before this story, it's Jesus crossing the lake And it's the time when the storm hits. And the disciples, now some of these guys have been fishermen all their life. They've been in storms. They think they're going down. They think it's over. Jesus is dossing. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Remember the time he stands up. I don't know if he's hanging onto a mast that's kind of in the kids' books. He's holding onto a mast. He stands up and he he stretches out And he shouts into the wind and the waves, be still. And instantly it was. Nothing was going to stop him from getting across the lake. So often when the Bible is broken up into chunks, we forget to follow it through and see what's going on. He is heading to the east and this storm comes to stop him. It's not going to stop him. He's going to stop it. Friends, there are no circumstances in your life that can stop Jesus from reaching you. Let me say that again. There are no circumstances in your life that can stop Jesus from reaching you. No storm is too big. Not the depth of your pain, nor the complexity of your past. Nothing can stop him from reaching you. You are not out of reach. You are not beyond help. And so often we hear that lie from the enemy. Maybe one of his demons just going, it's okay for others, not you. And and why do we believe it? Because so often we do. First one, the storm couldn't stop him. The second one, and again, this is the context of the book couple of contexts here. The the second one is Jesus especially cares for the hurting. So if you read Luke all the way through, you'll, you'll pick this up. It's a theme that runs through how Luke presents his material and how Luke writes it. Jesus especially cares for the hurting, how he spends time with those that society had marginalized. Think about it. He spends time with widows. He spends time with sinners. He spends time with women in a culture where, no, 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 that wasn't allowed. That wasn't acceptable. He spends time with those with disabilities. He spends time with children, with people from other racial backgrounds, other ethnicities. He spends time with people of low social standing. He spends time with the outcasts. He spends time with the unlovable and the unlikely, like the demon possessed man. He spends time. Jesus especially cares for the hurting. Those who have messed up, yeah, he'll spend time with us too. We've all messed up. You know there's no one who stands on this stage who is any better than anyone who sits in one of the chairs. You know that, don't you? All of us have messed up. Jesus wants to spend time with me and help me out of my mess. Those who are broken. You know what it's like. I think most of us from time to time we, we kind of put on a mask or, or, or we appear for no good reason to someone else like we've got it all together when actually on the inside you know Let, let maybe if we should have a little agreement we just never assume that someone's got it all together because I think the reality is we've all got brokenness inside us and Jesus wants to spend time with the hurting with the broken with you this morning. Luke is making a point. No one no one, no one is excluded. Not you, not your friends that you've been praying for throughout thy kingdom come. They're not excluded. Jesus cares, especially for the hurting. The third one, this is this is the understatement of the week. Jesus can handle it. Jesus can handle it. Do you remember in the in the story he he, he this man falls at his feet and, and in the conversation Jesus says, What is your name? And it's clear he's not just talking to the man, we don't, hit, don't know his name, but the demons reply, our name is Legion. And then Luke explains what that means, for many demons had entered him. So Roman occupied uh, area, the Roman Empire, a legion in those days, in the time of Jesus, uh, had about 9 or 10 cohorts, each of those about 500 troops. Uh, so there was, there was perhaps 5,000 men, 5,000 troops in a Roman legion. Now, I don't think Luke and his friends had, uh, or the others had kind of counted all these demons. He's basically saying there were loads of them. There were loads of them. So imagine the scene, you've got Jesus, stepping onto the shore, how many Jesuses? One Jesus. Versus, here's the big challenge, the gladiator match of the century, thousands, loads of demons. (gasps) Who's gonna win? I don't know, who's going to win? It, it's not even a competition. There's never any doubt. It's not. Sometimes, is our God too small in our minds? So often, so often we, we're, we're in this storm of our lives, or we've got this mountain, or we've got this battle, or there's this crisis, and sure, crises all kinds. There is pain and trouble, sure. But is our God, is it like, who's going to win? Who's going to pull through? Nothing is a match to Jesus. He can handle it. He's not going to handle it if you don't take it to him. He's not going to handle it if you don't humble yourself and say, I need you to handle it. But he can handle it. We've got to pray. We've got to reach out. We cannot do it on our own. Whatever it is, we've got to reach out. Fourth, Jesus' feet is where to be. I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading it through. I think I only noticed this because Gareth mentioned it last week when he was talking, he was doing the evening service talk on Jairus's daughter and the woman who reached out and grabbed Jesus' cloak. And he made this this connection for me. And then I saw it here too. Jesus' feet is where we need to be. See, the man starts, verse 28, at Jesus' feet. He falls at Jesus' feet. Now he falls down there and starts shouting at him and all that, but he's there. Something in him knows that's where he needs to be. Where do we find him at the end? We find him again, dressed and in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. Can I say this of me? I'm sitting at Jesus' feet. It's partly, it's partly acknowledging who he is and who I am. It, it's acknowledging that that's where I belong. And, and he's my Lord. Something about lordship going on here. And I wonder, am I submitting every part of my life to the Lord? Or is it just a Sunday Activity, Do I acknowledge the Lord or do I submit to his lordship when I'm thinking about finances and money and spending money and dealing with money and saving money? Is he lord over that? Is he lord over my conversations? Am I at his feet there? Will I submit to his perspective over the cultural issues of our day? Will I, will I submit? Will I just actually humble myself for a bit, sit at his feet and say, actually, how does God see this cultural issue of our day? Not interested in how the politicians see it or how the media is presenting it or how some lobby group is presenting it. What does God think? And will I submit to what he thinks when I'm out at a party or if I'm going to a wedding reception? Is he Lord over how much I drink? But it's a wedding reception. Is he Lord? Or am I deciding to be Lord for myself? that occasion is he lord over my marriage over my relationships is he lord over the purity in my mind so may I sit at his feet in acknowledgement of who he is he's the king of kings but may I also sit in his feet in wonder just that he loves me <laughs> he wants me there I'm in his presence Maybe at his feet he just puts his hand on my shoulder. I'm just like, it's the best place to be. Remember that from the Mary and Martha story that you guys know. May we sit at his feet in a fresh way today. Fifthly and lastly, transformed to witness. Now guys, we're finishing where we began. You see, this, this encounter, it's almost a Pentecost encounter, isn't it? This encounter led to incredible transformation. He had been naked, homeless, mad, violent, isolated and despised. But after his encounter with Jesus, he's dressed and in his right mind. Why did Jesus set this man free? Why? Why did he set this man free? Is it because he loved him and had compassion? Yes, obviously. Is it because he hates the work of the enemy? Yes. Is it because he longs for restoration and life to the full. Yes, these are all true. But I think Jesus had a further purpose for him. And we find it at the end of our passage. You see, this man's encounter was to be a testimony to others, to the love and power of God. He actually wants to go with Jesus. He says, no, I want you to go home. I want you to go and tell others what God has done for you. And I love it. He then goes and tells what Jesus has done for him. You see what happened there. Jesus longs that others might discover for themselves a God who knows them and loves them, to others who may be bound or oppressed or tormented, or in whatever darkness they find themselves in, Jesus longs for them to find that freedom at Jesus' feet. Pentecost. Pentecost today it's about God's children being filled with the spirit encountering. Jesus, that we may know his love, that we may be his witnesses, his ambassadors, his agents for change, his prophets to our world that need him so badly, that need him so badly. Who's up for that? I'm up for that. Guys, I think we should pray. I think we should do what they did on that first Pentecost. And who knows if they were standing with their hands out. I reckon they might have been. What, would you like to stand if, you, if you're able to? The most famous prayer in this church, the, most, the thing that's prayed more than anything else, three words. Come. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Let's pray it out together. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you. We need you. Come now. Come now. Come now. Fill our hearts. You promised to change the hearts of stone and remove them from us. You promised that, Lord. Give us hearts of flesh. Hearts that can receive you. Do it now. Jesus, do it now. Maybe with your eyes closed, I wonder if you might just picture something in your mind. I wonder if you might just picture Jesus as he stood before his disciples and said, peace be with you. And He showed them where he had been. I wonder if you might picture yourself in that room with him standing before you right now, looking at you, smiling with that smile of love right now and he's showing you where he's been, what he's done for you he's saying it was the cross that brought that peace you can't have peace without the cross you can't have peace without him that is how much he loves you And he fills us that we might know that love. God's love is poured out. Poured out now, Lord, into our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, pour it out now. pour out. Uh, a note with a prophetic word on it It absolutely resonates with what God is doing and it links in with Will's word earlier about that lake and the wall and uh, someone said I just saw that low wall between us and the lake and it's called unworthiness unworthiness in Jesus name we rebuke spirit of unworthiness we renounce the lie of unworthiness if you've got that label on you if you've been wearing a garment of that if you believe that in your heart in Jesus name strip it off Jesus name strip it off you are worth dying for that's what he thinks Maybe as I said earlier, this is, this is the time. And if you're in that place where you just need that love, that love, maybe you're the first up. Guys, come, come. Let us just pray with you. You need to hear that love afresh, that, that new, fresh realization of his love. Come down from the balcony if you know that's you. Don't, don't hide. Don't think you can handle it on your own. Come and get loved by the Lord, the King of kings.